the storm and it definitely has an impact on us. Like maybe you've been part of like a time when there was a hurricane. You're like, yep, I'm not getting out of there. Maybe not in Kansas so much, but maybe you were there. Maybe there's a spot where a tornado was really quickly or you were bunkered down somewhere. You were out like taking pictures of it. I don't know. You know, maybe there's a snowstorm. Maybe it's just simply a really hard rain that you guys have to pull off the road because you cannot keep driving. And sometimes there are those storms that they influence you. Sometimes you don't even have to be in the middle of the storm. You can simply go and see maybe the destruction that happened or someone that you cared about was impacted by it. And so that means something to you as well. Uh, I don't remember this, but my dad told me um, when I was really young, he was trying to make it to where I would not be afraid of thunderstorms. And so out on the front porch, we're standing there amongst a thunderstorm and thunder and lightning is all around and all that kind of jazz. But I guess a bolt of lightning came down and hit the transformer on the telephone pole right across from our street. And so it made a huge boom and sparks went everywhere. And I began to scream at the top of my lungs. And he realized that that was a fail. <laughs> like, and so I can't tell you whether that really influenced me for a long time. I can't tell you I didn't like thunderstorms for a while, but you know, you and I, we can be influenced or impacted by literal storms that we're part of. And what we're looking at today, the disciples are going to be part of a literal storm that I'm sure is going to have at least a spot in their memory, things that because of what they endured, but I will tell you, it's not just the storm. There's some other events that are going to happen that I'm sure change the way that they just continue to walk through life. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 4. That's going to be the text that we look at today, Mark chapter 4. It's also in the Bible app, so if you want to pull that up, we're going to just be following right along there. But I will tell you that we've been studying these encounters of Jesus, looking at Jesus when he was 12 years old in the temple. Then we fast-forwarded to the beginning of his ministry, and we looked at a guy named Nicodemus coming up and talking with Jesus, and then the Samaritan woman at the well. Well, we're going to hit the fast-forward button again, and we're going to go about a year more into his ministry. And you might be like, well, why are we doing that? Why don't we look at everything that Jesus did? That'd be fantastic, except we can't fit it in 17 weeks. Just going to tell you that. So you got to kind of pick and choose as far as that aspect. And so during this time that we fast forward, this year that is going on ministry-wise, Jesus chooses his disciples. Okay? He calls them, he prays over them, says, I want you to follow me. There are other followers too, but these 12 have been chosen by Jesus. During this time, we see eight other like healings and miracles. And those are the ones that are just recorded. Because again, there are sections that say, and he healed others and such. And so there are these miracles that the disciples would have seen. One of those included someone being brought back from the dead. Like Jesus has brought back this widow's son from the dead. And so I'm sure that's mind-blowing to the disciples, seeing the power that God has. But they saw that. There's also a time that when Jesus heals this paralytic, he chooses to forgive the man's sins. To which everyone standing around is going, well, no one can do that except God alone. And so Jesus says, so that you'll understand that I have authority to forgive his sins, now get up and walk. And so that's some of the things that the disciples have seen over this year. They've heard all sorts of teachings, which is, includes the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's all these things that they are understanding about the kingdom of God, who God is, and what, um, it, what he has in store for them. So then we get up to our text. And just to give you some context of our text, Jesus is in a house and there are all these people there and they're like, hey, your, your mother and your brothers, they want to talk to you. And Jesus says, my, my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of God. And so he kind of does that just helping people understand this is kind of part of my family um, as far as what I desire. And then after that, he leaves the house. 
And apparently there's still a big crowd. And so he continues to teach, but he goes out into a boat, like in a boat, and they push off from the shore. So that way, everyone on the shoreline can be able to hear him. And he spends quite a bit of a day telling all about the kingdom of God. In fact, we have all sorts of parables that are recorded that he speaks at this time. And so a parable about the sower, a parable about... Uh, this, this treasure that is found, or this pearl, um, a treasure about mustard seed, a, a parable about this net, or even these weeds, and all of them are telling people this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so he spends a lot of his day teaching this crowd all about the kingdom of God. And that leads us up to our text. All right. And so if you're in Mark chapter four, we're going to read verses 35 through 41. We're going to read the whole text to begin with, and then we'll come back and break it down just to kind of see what God might want to open our eyes to this morning. So here's what Mark writes. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side and leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. Okay, so again, now you know the whole story. Maybe you knew it already, but again, just being reminded of it, kind of what's happening here. I want to break it down a little bit at a time to kind of understand some things that maybe just we don't understand just by reading this text. And so again, back at the first verse, it said, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Reminder, that day he's been teaching, and so now he's already in the boat, and it's time to go. Maybe he's ready for a break. Maybe he's wanting to go to the other side to leave the crowd. Maybe he's wanting to go to the other side of the lake because now I want to be able to teach these people. I've been over here for a little while. I want the gospel message to continue to be spread. We don't know the details, but we do know Jesus at this end of the day. You know, it's been a full day, and now he's ready to go to the other side of the lake. And so we keep reading. And in verse 36, it said, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Okay, so that again makes sense. Why was he already in the boat? Because he had been teaching. So he'd been teaching everyone there. And so now it's time to go to the other side. Mark is the only one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this, but Mark is the only one that says there were other boats around. Okay, that probably doesn't affect your faith one way or the other. But here's where I'll tell you that I really love little bits like that because it helps you to know that there was an eyewitness that passed this along to us. Like if everyone got together and said, hey, we're going to tell this story and it matched up exactly, you would know that people aren't just telling things from their point of view. You'd go, there is some sort of corroboration here that maybe they're trying even to pass along some story, but everyone is telling you something different. And a lot of people would tell you that part of Mark's gospel, he got information from Peter. And so Peter being on the boat, one of the things that he thought was important is that there were other boats around. And so I would tell you, while this little tidbit really doesn't necessarily affect our faith a whole lot, man, I'm encouraged because it continues to encourage me to give me confidence that that which we have can be trusted. It is the word of God. Okay, and so we have this idea um, that now they're ready to go to the other side of the lake. Let's keep reading. In verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. 
Okay, we've got squall, we've got waves, and we've got nearly swamped, like the boat is already filling up. So here Mark says the squall came up. In Matthew it says, suddenly a furious storm came up. Now what you need to know is the Sea of Galilee that they are on at this moment is about 700 feet below sea level. But right around it, they also have some mountains that sometimes are up to 2,000 feet above sea level. And so when certain... uh, um, just gasps of air, wind come, then they blow down the side of the mountain. Like it can create a storm very, very quickly. Okay. And so again, we read this and the initial readers would have been like, yeah, that's not that uncommon. This happens quite a bit, but that's what's happening in this moment. Because of where this at, this storm comes up and it's not a small storm. Okay. We just read this idea of squall. That's what Mark and Luke use. They actually, the word that is used there to describe this squall can also be used for hurricane. Like it is a big storm. The word Matthew uses is the storm that connects with the idea of an earthquake. So this sea storm that comes because of the earthquake that has happened. So I want you just to understand that yeah, when the disciples who some of them were fishermen are out on this lake and this storm starts coming and they're afraid, it is a big deal. Okay, it is a big deal. The water is coming over and they are starting to go, man, we are going to sink. In fact, Luke talks about we are in great danger. He uses the verb tense that this is an ongoing thing. What is going to happen? And so then amongst all that, we get verse 38 that says this. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Okay, I'm not a boat person, so I had to do a search. The stern's the back of the boat, just in case you didn't know. Okay, I'm like, is that the front, the back, you know, underneath you? I don't know. So anyway, the stern is the back of the boat, and so that's where Jesus would have been sleeping. It talks about a cushion, and even when I was doing research, they talked about how a lot of boats would have this coarse leather cushion that was at the stern for the steersman. Okay, so that's where Jesus is. But I like even how Luke mentions this aspect. He simply says, as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Okay, so as the disciples are going across the boat before, or across the, the sea before the storm comes, Jesus then decides it's time to go to sleep. And I think that means something because sometimes when we just talk about Jesus, our mind immediately goes to that he's the son of God. Like he is God walking in flesh. And I get that aspect, but Jesus is also 100% human. And so like he's just had this day where he was teaching and it now comes to the end And he's fatigued. He's tired. And so it's time to take a nap. And again, it's just a small thing, but man, how how grateful I am that I have a God that can connect with me because he's experienced the things that I have. And so here's Jesus amongst the storm. He's sleeping, okay? And so then the disciples wake him up and they're like, teacher, or Luke says, master, like, don't you care if we drown? Like, do you have no concern for any of this? Like, if I would have woken up, I'd probably been like, "Um, I'm asleep, you know, that kind of stuff. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. So this is what happens with him. When we read verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. It's that word rebuked. He rebuked the wind and the waves. It's the same word that sometimes Jesus does when he rebukes people, when they're not doing what they ought to do or where they're just off, oftentimes for Pharisees. It's the same word that he uses uh, in different scriptures when he addresses demons, okay? He rebukes them when he casts them out. Even Peter's mother-in-law, when she's sick, it says that he rebuked the sickness, And so time and time again, here we are, Jesus saying, yeah, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so he calms the sea. He says, silence, quiet. And I can only imagine kind of what the disciples are thinking. 
Like, we know the end of the story. It's like, cool, Jesus calmed a storm. Like, but they were in this boat thinking they were about to die. Okay? And so when they woke Jesus up, I can guarantee you this is not what they expected to happen. Now, you might go, yeah, yeah, but they, they woke him up for some reason. Okay, well, maybe they woke him up because it's like, this is all hands on deck kind of thing. Like, the water is filling up. We need everyone to try to get the water out as quickly as we can. Maybe they wake him up because it's like, this is about time to bail. Like, we have no other hope, so we're going to have to get out of this boat. Maybe they even do wake him up hoping for a miracle. Like, they have been with him for a year, so maybe they're like, somehow God's going to have his hand on us, so Jesus is going to do something to kind of protect us. But I can guarantee you that this is not what they expect expected to happen, that he would simply say, calm. And that's what happens to the storm. Like, yes, there are times in scripture that you see God or godly people doing some things with the storm. Like Elijah, God says, I want you to pray. There's not going to be any rain. Three years later, he says, now I want you to pray. And here comes the rain. Or you could look at what God does in Exodus and in Joshua, where he parts the Red Sea or he parts the Jordan River. In fact, in Psalm chapter 104 and chapter 107, there are verses where the author is writing about God being the one who calmed the waters, or he's the one who stirred the waters. In Jonah chapter 1, there's this story where Jonah decides, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do, and I'm running the other direction, and he gets on a boat, and so God causes this huge storm, and everyone on the boat is like, man, someone has angered their God, and Jonah's like, yep, that was me, you know, kind of thing, and so anyway, it's like, you're going to have to throw me into the water, and they're like, nope, we're not doing that, that's not on, your death is not going to be on our heads kind of thing, and so they're throwing everything else off the boat that they can, and it's still not helping, and so finally they do so, they throw Jonah into the water, and when you read the scriptures, the water becomes calm. There's no more storm. Like God has power over the waters. Here's the disciples in a boat. Like, but we just saw this man speak and everything is calm. Like, yes, we've seen miracles, but like water to wine, that's kind of like a hand trick compared to what we just saw. Or even it's this idea of diseases and demon possession. Like I see you have power over the dark forces, but here is this power over this great force of nature. In the moment that they're standing, they're just got to be like, wow. And so, how does it all finish? In 40 and 41 that we've already read, it says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And so Jesus even says, you know, do you have no faith? In Luke, he asks this question, where is your faith? Matthew records it just being you of little faith. You see, he's not talking about the absence of faith, but the deficiency of faith. Like, I have been with you for a year and a half. You've seen me. You've heard me. And why then are you so afraid of that which is around you right now? You don't have to fear. Now, they do still have fear. In fact, you know, we read this idea that they're terrified or Matthew says amazed or Luke says in fear and amazement, what essentially happens is their fear shifts from the storm to the one who's in the boat with them. And they're trying to figure out who is this? He's got such power. And what I love is all three of the gospel writers write that question, who is this? But none of them answer it. Like the story is supposed to help you know who it is, but like none of them say, well, this is who it is. And so the disciples, they're still trying to figure it out. He's not just this great guru. He is the son of God. He is the one who was creator. He is the one who is sustainer. He has the power to deliver. He has the power to bring life from death. That's the answer to the question. Who is this? So that's our text. 
And I would tell you, kind of like at the beginning of the, the sermon, I told you, yes, we sometimes are in these literal storms, but then there's also these figurative storms that go on in our life. These moments that do not go the way that we want them to, that maybe we feel helpless or we feel like there's all this risk going on around. Like maybe there's something in a job or a decision I have to make or how am I gonna take a stand here? Or maybe there's a severe illness of someone that you deeply care about. There's something going on with your finances or there's an unexpected tragedy or even a relationship now has broken down that you deeply care about and you are in the middle of one of these storms and simply, if you were to be honest, you feel like you're gonna drown. You feel like you're barely keeping your head above water. And these storms, like just like this, they can come and go. They can be unexpected. Man, we all have storms in our lives. And I might ask you right now in your life, how's the weather? Like, is it fairly calm? Is there lightning around? Do you feel like it is raging? Do you feel like maybe things are clearing up? I wonder amongst the storms, do you ever get the feeling that Jesus is asleep you ever like, God, why don't you just wake up and fix this? Like, don't you care that I'm drowning? Do you ever feel that? I'll tell you, while I was preparing the sermon, there was this kind of lyric in my head, and I'm like, man, I feel like I've heard this somewhere before. And so I went on the internet, and I found back in 1995, there was a song that was written, and it's called, Sometimes He Calms the Storm. Okay? And so then as I read the lyrics, I've listened to it multiple times this week, continuing to just prepare for this. But here's what the chorus says. It says, sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered peace, be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. It says, sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. And sometimes he calms the storm and other times, he calms his child. And I was just sitting there thinking about the truth in those words, that there are times in our lives that God comes in and he's like, yep, the storm, it's time to be done. And then there's other times that he doesn't calm it, but man, he has got you wrapped so tightly just saying, I've got you through all of this. We will endure. And I wish I could tell you that reading through this text, like what I'm coming to tell you is that Jesus is just going to calm every storm in your life. Yeah, but that's not true. I wish I could even tell you that part of this story is telling us how to endure these storms, but that's not really the truth either because he just comes and fixes this one. And there are times that that's not what he chooses to do in our life. But here's the one truth that I want you to walk away with this morning from this text. And that's this, that the one who is with you is greater. Jesus, the one who is with you is greater. In fact, in 1 John 4, 4, there's this text that says, greater is he who is in you than he that is within the world. The one who is with you is greater. And maybe you're like, greater than what? Well, I stopped it there on purpose because anything, anything you want to put after that, Jesus is greater. And so here are the disciples and they see this storm, but that's what they focused on instead of the one who was with them in the boat. And I would tell you, when the storms come in your life, don't spend all your time focusing on them. I get it. That's easier said than done, especially when it feels like a hurricane or a tornado. But understand that Jesus is greater. In fact, one line that I wrote or read this week was the idea that I would much rather the one, fear the one who controls the storm than the storm itself. 
because he's with me. He wants the best for me. So talking about these storms, I want to address two different groups of people. Okay, and the first group is this. Those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus, and you would look over and you see that he's in your boat with you. Okay, that group that you are following Jesus and he's in the boat with you. And man, I hope that it's more than just going, look, he's in my boat. And you're amazed at his teaching. You're amazed at his miracles. But like you are walking every single day and you realize he is with you. You could look back and go, he has calmed the storms at different times in my life. And other times you could go, he has held on to me until that storm went away. You can look back and go, yep, Jesus was big enough to handle that money situation or that time with my kids or my schedule or my coworker or neighbor that really frustrates me. And yet I'll tell you, that sometimes, even though we could tell you, yep, God's big enough and he's done those things, there's still other times that another storm arrives and we begin to doubt Jesus' power again. Like we may not say those words, but we're like, God, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you here? And we focus on the storm instead of focusing on him. And we're like, do you care? Do you want to do anything about this, Jesus? And then when the storm subsides, sometimes we're amazed. We're like, man, Jesus did this. Even though he's already done this multiple times in our lives, sometimes we're re-amazed just because we were focusing on the wrong thing. And so I would tell you, whether you have walked with Jesus for years or you're a fairly new Christian, remember this truth, that Jesus is with you and he is greater than any storm you will ever face. And that is not just church speak. That is not just trying to say something that's going to make us feel good. That is the truth of God. And if we went around and told stories, those of you who have been uh, in a spot where Jesus is with you in the boat, like you would hear time and time again that Jesus has either calmed the storm or he helped you through it. So here's the other group. The other group of you are trying to handle your boat alone right now. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. For some of you, the reason that you're in the boat alone right now is you're like, I really don't know who Jesus is. Like I hear his name kind of as a cuss word, or maybe like at holiday seasons, I hear that, but I don't understand what does it mean like for my life to have Jesus? I really don't understand that. Can I tell you that simply being here or even tuning in online is a great place to start? Because if you don't know Jesus, then how you find out about him is you learn about him. And I would tell you this, if you don't know who he is, ask questions. Don't just hold it and ask people, hey, what does this mean? How do you know this? I would tell you, look to the word of God. And if you're like, where do I even start? Like, this is a big book. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is when Jesus is on this earth. And so even in that aspect, we get an, uh, an understanding of who God is because here he is in the flesh. And so read that. But I would tell you, that when you purposely are looking, when you are intentional about looking to find out who Jesus is, you will want him in your boat when you understand who he is. But sometimes that's not the reason that I'm alone in my boat. Sometimes the reason is because I just don't want Jesus. Like when I picture Jesus, I picture him, I kind of tie him in with maybe some Christians that have hurt me in some way. And I think that's just the way Jesus is too. Or maybe like I think about going to church and there's all these rules that get spoken about. and like, I don't want to do that. Or it's even just this idea of, I kind of like being the boss of my life. And maybe someday I'll ask Jesus kind of to come in. But like right now, I just want to do those things for myself. Can I tell you that first thing? I get it that sometimes Christians hurt us, like hurt you. I imagine there's a good chance that maybe you've hurt somebody else too, because none of us are perfect. But man, when I look at scripture and I understand who Jesus is, 
He is perfect, and he will not let you down. And so don't discount Jesus just because you've been hurt by somebody else. I'd also tell you this idea of rules that Jesus has, the more that you understand what he has for us, you'll understand it so that we can have life to the full. It's for our protection so that then our life gets to experience what he's desired or even our relationships get to experience the way that he designed it. It's not just a bunch of rules. I'll tell you, yep, other people before you have gone on and gone, yep, I'm going to decide this later on in my life. And some do, and some run out of time before they make that choice. And if if eternity really is something to do with Jesus, man, I would encourage you to find out more about him and don't just put it off. But I will tell you that Jesus will not make you choose him, even though he wants to be with you in the boat. And then there's a third group of people that, you know what, why I'm in the boat by myself is because I don't need Jesus. Like when you look around, yep, the skies, they're pretty calm. The waters, they're pretty still. And I've got this under control myself. Like, I don't need any help. I really don't need Jesus. Can I tell you, there are times that you and I, we feel like we're in control of things. And I use the word feel, but we do. We feel like we're pretty in control of things. But there will be a time that the sky will turn dark. And there will be a time when the wind begins to blast in. And there will be a time that the water begins to come over the side of the boat. And in that moment, you may feel pretty hopeless. You may feel like you're about to drown. You might feel like there is no way out. Can I tell you, I desperately would hate for you to have to hit that point before you call out to Jesus. I'll tell you, though, if that is you, he still will listen in that moment. But he doesn't want you to have to get there either. But I will tell you, like, there's a lot of people that in our church, even if you were to ask them their story, they would tell you, it was because of a storm that I finally reached out to Jesus. That finally I realized that's who I needed because pride can cause a lot of us not to call out to his name. And so I would tell you, no matter what the reason is that you're in the boat all by yourself, the truth is you do not want to be in the storm without him. And so the one who wants to be with you is greater. I would encourage you to let him in your boat. And I will tell you, just a while ago, I even mentioned this idea of some storms, they actually can be beneficial because they can cause perseverance. Like our faith is built amongst the storm, not just when everything's going well. Or sometimes there are storms that can open our eyes to that which we were missing or even to see him clearly. And sometimes storms even drive us to him because now I have to rely on him, not just my own strength. I have to call out to him. In fact, Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Hugh and I, we may not go, man, I just love these difficult times, but there are times that God's even got things in my life to draw me back to him, to cause me to rely upon him. Greater. Greater. That's who Jesus is. And so sometimes he will calm the storm in your life. And then there are other times that he will hold you up until that storm passes. Let me pray. God, there's a lot of us in this room, a lot watching online. If we're being completely honest, there's a lot of storms going on. I am thankful that we don't have to do this on our own. God, that you've promised to be with us 
And it's not a promise that we have to wonder about. It's truth. Help us, those of us that have you in our boat, not to focus on the storm, but to focus on you. And God, to be able to use, be used in a way um, with the comfort that you bring, with the peace that you bring to, in, to encourage others. Father, I pray for those specifically that do not have you in their boat right now for whatever the reason is. God, continue to work on their hearts and help them to see the life that you want them to experience. Yes, for forever, but that starts right now. God, help us as a congregation to encourage one another, to walk alongside one another. God, to be open and honest and not just to say, yeah, we're in clear skies when maybe we're not. Because God, you've created us to do this together. All of this, we want it to be for your glory. And we look forward to the day that we'll be with you forever, that we can see you with our eyes. God, there are no more storms. But until then, we trust you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.